Welcome to the Security Squawk Podcast, where we discuss the business of cybersecurity. Here are your co-hosts and cybersecurity experts, Brian Horning, Reginald Andre, and Randy Bryan. I heard somebody say, I love you in the crowd. <laughs> I think he said, I love you, man. <laughs> Probably. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Security Squawk Podcast, where we help break down all the goodness about cybersecurity and let you know how you can protect yourself and your business from cyber criminals. Right, guys? Another week, Andre. Why don't we, uh, before we jump into what we're going to talk about today, which is the Verizon data breach report and the interesting statistics that they put together and whether we agree with some of that data or not and what it means for your business and what you need to be worried about, what's the feed uh, for the show? It is free 99. There is no cost to uh, listen or watch this show. All we ask is that if you like the information, you please share it with your um, colleagues, with your coworkers, with your boss, supervisor, and um, that way they can also um, uh, partake in, in this conversation. That is true. Yep. Share us out where you can. Rate us on your favorite podcasting platform if you happen to listen to us through the podcast. Uh, and remember, throughout the show, if you're watching us on social media live right now, you can drop comments uh, down in social media as long as you give StreamYard permission. And if we see those comments in our platform here, we'll throw them up on the screen and answer the questions and try to make this as interactive as we can. So, guys, a Verizon data breach report. Let me share. Uh, let me share my screen with that report up. Uh, da, 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 da. That's the one. I share and there it is uh there's the data breach report for 2023 from verizon um and there's a lot of decent information in here um to start working through so people can um start to understand what's happening out there today what the threats are uh and really you know start developing a plan of attack for dealing with this stuff on a lot of different levels, but I think this report is good because I, it gives people an idea of the frequency or the popularity of certain things. And really those are the things you should be focusing on, right? Because if, you know, if you got an 80% chance to experience some kind of cyber attack um, in your business versus something else, like something is like 80% more than everything else, you're going to want to maybe start focusing in on protecting yourself from those threats or doing the things uh, that are highlighted in this report. Uh, and there's a lot of things in this report that are, are skewed one way or another. And we're going to highlight all of that today. So to maybe give some businesses a leg up on, on some of these attacks and bringing some of these statistics down or, or what have you. So um, before we jump into the nitty gritty of going through the report, guys, you guys want to share any kind of one thing that stood out for you guys in the report? Um, it, it uh, based on what you're seeing here, is there anything uh, anything you're seeing? 
Yeah, one of the things they talked about was that um, I think it was eight out of yeah, eight out of 10 breaches is um, on organized crime. Uh, I think this is important because someone's job, someone's business is to go after your, your business and to take the money from your pockets and the money in your bank account. It's not just some kid in a hoodie and he purchased a you know, $20 software online and you know, he, he got into your system. This is a real business. Um, and as we've talked about in the past, they have a whole organizational chart. They run as a real business to try to get into your into your accounts and stuff like that. So well, not only that, what... they're a criminal business. So they're yeah, yeah. I mean, the rules don't apply to these guys. <laughs> um, so they're not playing under the same set of rules that you are in your business, where you're doing things above board and ethically. Um, go ahead. Well, not to, I didn't mean to cut you off. Sorry about that. Just that. You know, there's a lot of implications there as well, just based on what just what Andre said, because if they're criminal organizations, don't expect to get what they say they're going to give you. So we know that only about a third of all data comes back when people pay the ransom. I think the majority of people get most of their data back, but it typically almost almost never all comes back. Um, so there are a lot of implications off of what he said. And then the thing that really stuck out with me was the whole 84% of the attacks are targeting people. We have to remember these are organizations they dealt with specifically. We heard an, an FBI agent a few weeks ago say 95% of all attacks start with email, which is targeting people. We just know that that number is really huge and this really backs it up. Yeah, hundred percent. So Randy, uh, going through the report here, one of the things that is highlighted is uh, attackers are definitely finding new ways to dupe victims for money. Um, you know, we, a lot of people still get hung up and I think that's, I, I think that's the one thing if I was to say, what's the one thing that's that this report, what's the story that it tells and I think the story that this report tells is that, yeah, you need to be worried about ransomware, but ransomware is kind of the least of your problems. Um, I don't know if you guys agree with that, but that's kind of what I what I feel like I'm reading in this report. Like you have a lot of other things to worry about besides ransomware. Um, and, you know, we're seeing it right now in mass scale with this move it uh breach where the these this clop group is just exfiltrating data from companies and threatening to dox these companies and release this information um unless they get paid and they're figuring out many different ways to monetize breaching your network or breaching your cloud services or, or breaching whatever they can get into that they're not supposed to be getting into. Um, so, you know, that was one of the things I took out of this is like, okay, now we're starting to look at data where, you know, you know, it's not about, it's not even about just taking money from you. It, it, it could revolve around gift cards. It can revolve around many different ways that these guys can can make money selling personal information, you know, to people who are experts with identity theft. 
these are all different ways that these guys are figuring out how to monetize what they get when they breach these networks. Um, so if we look at the summary of findings here on the first page, um, you know, just some stats, 83% of breaches involved external actors. That's a pretty big number, right? That, that tells you that only 17% are coming from other places like internal threats. And we'll, and we'll dive into, as we scroll down here, we'll see like, what's, what are the, what's the other 17%, but 83% come from the outside, from people you don't know, from people that are external to your organization. Uh, and then 74% of those uh, uh, breach involved a human element. So it means like a human messed up along the way. Uh, and you think immediately, what's the first thing that probably comes to your mind, guys, like clicking on a phishing link, right? Yep. Or, or some kind of social engineering attack, right? But at the end of the day, if you really think about it, the human element is also when you consciously make a decision not to patch something on your network that it's a known vulnerability. That is considered part of the human element here because, you know, you may have not have known about it, you know, as a, and that's a human element issue, or you may have, you know, known about it and decide we're not going to do anything around that. A la Rackspace, a la so many other companies that got hit with, the exchange uh, vulnerability that was running wild out there. And, and there's still servers exposed today around that. Um, this is what we're talking about when we say human element, that basically somebody made a decision to take an action that resulted in a data breach. Yeah. In that, 2021, I mean, that, that, sorry. That in 2021, that number was 35%. Then uh, the following year, um, 82% and now it's 74%. So it's a big, big leap. And you could almost, Brian, to go off your point there, I mean, you could almost say almost all involve a human element because at what point, you know, a human heard the truth. The only way really, is a zero day. Yeah, exactly. And then that zero day has to be able to work off of, you know, coming Something in. Something that was created by a human. Uh -huh. <laughs> Exactly. So, you know, I would almost say that number, if we're, if we're looking at it that way, it's almost even higher than that. But now those, the one stat that really popped out at me on this page was the 49% of breaches involving credentials, right? Meaning that these guys have your credentials and they're just using what they have out there to do this stuff to the tune of almost 50% of the time. That means um, you're not changing your passwords and you're not using a password manager um, and you're not getting the intel that your passwords are out on the dark web. I mean, to really get this number down, you need to have a company who's telling you, hey, your credentials are exposed on the dark web. Stop using this username and password immediately. That's how you mitigate things like this. Go ahead. I want to give a little example of that was this uh, very recently had a existing customer reach out to us because they had a credit card fraud and just want to make sure that all was well. And we're like, yeah, we're doing all the things. Well, it turned into four cards from four different providers. And so, you know, we, we're kind of scrambling around here. We're having our SOC team go over all the data, making sure there was nothing that we missed on and on and on. We find out that all four accounts 
were on banks that had credentials that had been leaked in breaches, were getting a notification in Keeper that wasn't seen, obviously. And we logged into all four accounts. All four accounts allowed you with your password to pull back your and get your credit card number, the expiration date, and the code with no further, you didn't have to do any kind of verification. So it turns out it was just credential leaks. So they were able to take credentials that had leaked on the dark web and then just start logging into banks. And then they were able to get credit cards and then try to commit fraud. You know, thankfully their banks caught it. So nothing really ever, ever came of it. But that was a, a kind of a classic example of a credential attack right there that this is talking about. Yeah. And I don't know how it is for you guys, but that's one of the biggest pushbacks we get, you know, do a cybersecurity training, you know, yearly do different exercises, things like that. No problem. But when it comes to like stop saving the passwords on Chrome and edge, I think that's for me, that's been the biggest pushback um, that we get. What about for you guys? <laughs> that, that, that I've run into that like personally in the last couple of weeks um, where it's so easy. It's so much easier to store it in the browsers. And what people don't realize, though, with one little bitty program from Nearsoft, all you got to do is change one little byte on it and nothing will get detected. You can run that little program. It'll put in a spreadsheet every password that's stored on that computer in a browser with no admin access required whatsoever. I think we talked about that recently. But yeah, get the same kind of pushback, man. And it's uh, it's frustrating. I guess I don't know. Frustrate, dumb, dumbfounding, and frustrating kind of all rolled into one. Yeah, um, it is. I mean, people. It's just awareness. It's just bringing people need to be brought to a, a point where they understand this stuff. You know, we we're providing security awareness training every week on on this podcast. So if if a company just put gave people access to our Facebook page, they would get enough education there so that they would really start to understand that, you know, listening to Randy and not using those things and using a password manager is, you know, how you avoid things like this. So it's the last really one, what's that? Let me add, what's really true, yeah. let me add to that is the, the example that I mentioned, the CEO, I reached, reached out to the CEO and they've basically said, we're, we're telling our whole company, you've got to use Keeper. You got to get out of the browser. And if you don't like it, this is not the place for you to work, basically. Um, so that sometimes this was kind of an eye opening thing for them. And, you know, we were able to tell what happened and figure out how it happened and all that. But, you know, eye opening thing to kind of bring it all back around. If you get that kind of buy-in from the top, then you're more likely to get it from, you know, from the rest of the employees. Yeah, 100%. And then, you know, the last stat on this page, which, you know, I, you know, talked about a little bit at the top of the show, but just 24% of breaches involve ransomware, right? So, mm -hmm. yeah, ransomware gets all the sizzle. It gets all the press when it happens. You know, it's, it's you know, it's, it is, it's the big it's the big deal. You get locked up with ransomware, you're going to pay a lot of money. Um, and, you know, I think that that's why it gets sensationalized because, you know, things like business email compromise being, you know, probably the biggest problem most businesses face. You might lose 
10,000, 20,000, 100,000. You're not, you know, very rarely are you losing multi-millions uh, for business email compromise. Now, you can collectively, depending how long they are in there and how, how what they have access to for the business email compromise. Um, but ransomware, you know, tends to be the, the kind of the celebrity malware, so to speak, because when you get hit with it, it's usually going to cost you a whole lot of money. And obviously it, the disruption that it creates in a business is just absolutely ridiculous. Um, but I think a lot of people are going to be surprised to learn that it's, you know, that low 24% of breaches involve ransomware. So we're going to jump into a little bit, uh, down, like what is the other 76% and educate people, you know, kind of around that. So, um, you know, in 2022, I guess this report, basically that's, that's the data that was looked at. Um, you know, we kind of already mentioned the threats from the outside, internal threats, roughly around 17, 19%. Um, partners are way down here, guys. Um, and I wanted to bring this up because it seems like partners is really low, but we know that third-party risk assessments are – there's a big push from cyber insurance, from compliance, from state laws to start looking at and evaluating your partner's cybersecurity. Um, and I got to ask the question, based on this data, and maybe there's other reports that say tell a different story, should businesses be worried about their partners or – is that maybe, you know, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Because that this tells me I need to worry about the guys. I need to worry about cyber criminals, external guys breaking in. I need to worry about my own internal employees, a mixture of both. But my partners, eh, they're not, they don't really seem to be a big risk to my business. I mean, it, it's really all of the above. We just saw recently, like in the last few weeks, we talked about a financial company that just got hit with a big fine. Now I realize there's different, different laws apply to different companies, but they just got hit by a big fine, not because there was a breach, but because they weren't properly vetting their third-party prop uh, partners. So you're, it's, this is not really a, you know, do I do this or I do that or do I do that? It's really all the above. Um, you need to properly vet your third-party partners. They can still cause attacks they can still call ca not cause attacks but they can still be where where the where the bad actors get in and at the end of the day you also need to remember that this is from verizon and there's a specific size of company that they deal with um and so we're not getting a segment of all business we're getting a segment of the businesses that they deal with um this number may be higher or lower if you get out into the the general, you know, business population, if you will. Uh, but short story long, it's all the above. You still have to vet your your vendors and your partners and things like that. Yeah, I definitely see next year this report. I mean, let's look at Move It. We talked about that the last few weeks. Right. Um, New York's um, New York Education Department just released forty five thousand students' information is compromised. That was just reported yesterday. So definitely see this moving uh, higher and on the list. That came from Move It, which is a third-party provider 
you know, a lot of IT people know that they've been around forever and they've had, you know, the FTP thing from a long time ago that IT providers use. Um, and, you know, classic example, third party right there. And that's where the vulnerability came from. Yep. All right. So, so can I add one thing real quick, Brian? 100%, man. So Go ahead. You mentioned third party, third party cybersecurity risk reviews. There is so much that can be done in a network without network credentials. And where, what, where I'm going with that is if I can do a scan and come back with very accurate information, okay, maybe we're not 100 if I don't have network credentials, but if I can do a scan from the, from the good guy side, I can do a scan to show your risk without having admin access everywhere, the bad actors can do just as much without having admin access. Obviously, they're going to figure out a way to get it. They're going to need it to do what they need to do. But that's just something to think about. I know I know some scans that are out there that don't require um, necessarily that admin access to do a scan of the device, its passwords, and stuff that's right around it. And just think, if, if, if we can do that, how much is a bad actor going to be able to do, you know, with nefarious intent. It's a little on the disturbing side. Yeah, hundred percent. So one of the things uh, that I want to kind of bring up as we, as we kind of roll down through this. Um, so one of the more, uh, I guess, bigger takeaways from this report is Despite increased spending, cybersecurity is not pivoting fast enough for, to protect people from uh, advanced pretexting attacks. Uh, the answer to this challenge isn't to double spending on training. Uh, continue the ineffective practice of trying to trick employees with fake phishing emails. Uh, instead, companies would be more secure if they first assumed a breach would happen and then took preventative measures before one did. So basically what they're saying is, is that instead of like doing security and awareness training and, and trying to get your employees to not click on something and, and try to do your best to, to make sure that that doesn't happen, your efforts are going to be better spent. And I'm asking you guys, do you agree with this analysis of not focusing so much on security awareness training, but focusing on the fact that you need to assume that you've been breached and you need to learn and, and spend the money on things that are going to help you recover from that breach. Absolutely. It's all about mindset. And, you know, just like with the federal government, what do they do? They just throw the money at the problem, thinking that they're fixing it, but not really taking that backseat look at, okay, well, what is it that we really need to be doing? Yes, phishing emails and having those type of things are great. But if, and as Randy, you said, it comes from the top. And I think everybody down needs to understand that this can happen. And what do we now do to, what do we now do to prevent this and, and put your efforts on that? Yeah. And th this really touches, uh, Brian and Andre, this really touches on one of the things I'm super passionate about. And that is basically, my philosophy is assume that they're already in there. Mm -hmm. And then if, if you were in the middle of all kinds, like they're already in your network, they're all around you, how would you do things different? 
And that's part of zero trust. Um, we talk about zero trust a lot where you, you do network segmentation. You talk about your data. You sit down with the stakeholders. You say, who needs this? Who doesn't need this? Is there anybody that needs access to all? Probably not. You know, you, you determine all those things. And one little nuance of all that, and it's a take home for me, is assume that the bad actors are already in there. So I, I love that philosophy and I love that that was mentioned here because it does make you change how you do your strategy to try to thwart them in the first place. And we've got to move, we've got to move away from this, like I, I call it a 90s mentality where we, we have a castle and it has 90, you know, 90 inch walls and there's a giant moat. But then once you're in the castle, you can do whatever you want. It doesn't work like that anymore. It's like each little segment of your network and your data, that's a castle. And if they get into that, they can't just go run around and go wherever they want to go. And I know I'm getting off into the weeds here, but I love this thought and it really got me started. Yeah, and they're basically saying that, um, you know, in the report that financial motives still drive the vast majority of breaches. Like they're looking to get in and get paid. Um, and that's to the tune of 84%. Like that is their motivation for, for doing all of this. A very small percentage is for corporate espionage or for spying on, on other, other countries, potentially other governments. Um, but here we go. I mean, if you look at the chart on the right here on, on what I'm sharing on my screen, organized crime leads the way, you know, as, as Andre said. Um, now there's some others in there, which, you know, I guess you can say that they're the, they're the guys with the hoodies in mom's basement. Um, your end users are, are your people, your own internal people turning around and, and doing something on you. And then, you know, just about 10% is nation state or state affiliated attacks. So this gives you a picture of what happened in, in 2022 with organized crime leading the way. And then basically, you know, some loosely probably cannot tie certain groups or certain attacks back to these more organized uh, cyber criminal groups. So they put them under other. And then, yes, you have employees who will do things to try to make a quick buck, too. Um, you know, and we see that at a lot of different levels. Um, thoughts on the, on this page, guys, before we move on? Yeah, the, the, this is good for. Uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, you're good. OK, um, this is good for getting perspective, I think, on everything, because mm -hmm. one, we hear all three of us here all the time. I've heard it in the last month, probably once, maybe twice. Oh, there's nothing in my business that they would want. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we heard that from some, somebody recently who has, I think, I think they said a four million dollar a year business. Oh, my gosh. If you have money coming in, they're going to try to cash on that somehow. If you have employees, they have something, you have something they want. That's exactly. You have, you have personal information. You have the ability to be ransomed. You have, you, data. Have, you have a payroll that you run either weekly or biweekly that they're trying to misdirect funds on. Invoice. Yeah. Invoices that come and go. I mean, the list goes on and on. And if you think, I think as a security expert, think about that when you're planning out your strategy. Um, I know we're getting off into the weeds here, but same same thing. Think about that when you're planning your strategy. How can they monetize what we have? That's what's valuable inside of your inside of your quote unquote network. 
or quote unquote inside of your network? Uh, so this goes in, this starts to get a little bit, I guess, on the technical side of things, as we mentioned, the use of stolen credentials, um, other types of, of things that happen out there around, uh, these actions or, or, uh, basically what are the threat actors been up to, right? They're using stolen credentials. They're doing other things. They're deploying ransomware. They're doing phishing attacks, pretexting, they're exploiting vulnerabilities, um, using things like misdelivery, pr privilege abuse, backdoors and C2s. This starts to get really technical. You really need to, to know what you're doing here. Um, but quite frankly, like the really technical stuff is the, the minutia, right? The easy stuff, phone credentials, over 40% of, of what goes on there. I don't know what's included in other. I don't see anything in yeah. here that, that kind of spells that out. But just think about it. I mean, you know, other ways that they're getting in, right? And then ransomware is, again, you know, in that 20, 30% range uh, and phishing, right? Phishing is supposed to be the number one way, but it's, it's only you know, uh, it's less than 25% of, of their war chest of what they're actually deploying out there. So a lot of, a lot of weird information coming out of, out of this one and how, and how we're looking at it. But you would think that phishing would be way up above use of stolen credentials based on how uh, the world kind of teaches companies like, Hey, you know, teach your people to spot a fish and stuff like that. Yep. It seems like we're really missing the boat on dark web monitoring and knowing whether our credentials have been compromised. Uh, you know, I would say it's probably still a both end, but also since we're dealing with specific set of businesses, it may be that this size of business that Verizon's interacting with, maybe they have pretty decent email security. And so, you know, that's not the, the easiest way for the, the criminals to get into their system. You know, maybe they try it, but it's, you know, a lot of them get blocked or whatever. And, you know, good old fashioned credential attack. I mean, that's how the pipeline, the pipeline hack from year, a year or year and a half ago um, started off with leaked credentials on the web of somebody's VPN and they never they never shut it down. That's a credential attack. There's obviously other places where that fits in this category in these categories. But at the end of the day, something was breached onto the Internet and they just used that to log into the VPN. Kind of simple. So um, moving to, into the uh, stats that we have up on the screen here, right? Um, the interesting and to give people some contrast. If we look at that, the biggest green bar up there, which is under web application, and, it, and it's slightly uh, under, I don't know why they use a, a line that kind of goes out like that, um, but it's slightly under 80%. It's at 77%, um, according to the statistics in the report. And that's a huge jump. Last year's report, web application attacks only accounted for about 39% of breaches. So this is a trend going in a direction where cyber criminals, and it makes a lot of sense, number one, right? Because it's easier 
you know, it, you know, fishing to get to somebody or get to a network that doesn't really have anything exposed to the internet. There's not very many ways they can get in. Uh, but if I can hit something that you have to have exposed to the internet, yep. look at move it, look at Microsoft exchange. These are, would all be considered kind of web applications. I think I mentioned it on the show last week when I talked about an oil company who got breached because they were able to put malware on the web server of a Chinese restaurant. And they knew that the employees of this oil refinery went to this Chinese restaurant and they figured if they could infect that website with malware, they could get into this oil company. And by golly, they did. Um, so these are the things that we're talking about. What Them using things that need to be exposed to the internet uh, just to function so businesses can, can conduct business and them exploiting these things in various different ways to attack companies. And that's a, a major trend shift this year. And I think we're going to continue to see that be the way moving forward here in 2023, 2024. Yeah, I would totally agree. Just they're trying to follow the money and the least path of resistance. Yep. Like you said, you know, your your cloud-based medical practitioner software has to be open to the internet and a lot of times you just need a username and password to get in and maybe some kind of a multi-factor. Um so and then on top of that, if you can find an exploit in the server that it's sitting on, I mean I I agree with your assessment there. So, um, the going down the list here, I'm just trying to pull out some more stats. Uh, I'm going to skip right over um, a lot of this stuff right here. And, and you guys, we'll, we'll link to the report. You can just Google it um, to find the report uh, yourself if you want to look really into details. We're we're wrapping up here in about what seven minutes? Is that right, Randy? Uh, yep. Okay. Uh, so, you know, again, going into you know use of stolen credentials for initial access. Uh, vulnerabilities are uh, slight second here. Brute force, meaning they're busting down the front door by guessing usernames and passwords. And 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 let's just stop on this one real quick. Would you say that they're guessing passwords that are weak or would you say that people are putting things out there with default credentials and they're just testing default credentials and getting into certain things that are exposed to the internet like firewalls and ftp servers and stuff like that as randy said path of least resistance <laughs> right. right and then all these other things require some pretty extensive skills to get in place in the first place um but you should be looking for these things, right? Because if a backdoor or C2 gets on your network uh, or they're able to, you know, do things to your SQL server that you might have running because you didn't update it or patch it and they're able to exploit it, um, scanning the network, this is all stuff that you should be knowing if somebody is doing it, whether that's a, a hacker or maybe an employee is, you know, trying to do something, right? So these are all important statistics to take a look at. But really, you know, stolen credentials is standing out as a, a big, big hole and a big, big gap 
in where businesses are at today in terms of securing their networks. I mean, think about the example I gave a few minutes ago. Yes, finally, the banks, the banks stopped it, so they didn't get any money out of it. But just taking a simple username and password off of the dark web, we're able to log into multiple banks, pull credit card numbers from those accounts, and then try to use those credit cards. If they had just been a little bit smarter, they would have got away with it. Yeah, this is a you know, privilege misuse. Um, you know, basically they're doing privilege misuse for financial gain. Some people are doing it because they're pissed off at somebody else. Uh, this basically means like somebody has an administrator account or somebody was able to give themselves administrator rights, you know? So that's, that's, that's a pretty high number there for maybe a disgruntled employee or what have you. I think that that's what grudge, uh, would, would entail, Espionage would be spying, you know, competitors, somebody that your competitor hired, somebody's just doing it for fun and convenience. You don't think that that happens, but it does. Uh, hey, can I do this? Can I do that? Um, all very interesting information. And then as we jump in here, um, we start to see who is the most targeted industry. And public administration is in the lead. So that's your governments, right? Governments, potentially um, municipal and federal. Um, and then you, why would that be? I guess, you know, we can talk about that in the last couple of minutes here. Um, information technology, obviously being up there, finance being right there. Um, so, uh, and then you see whether they were small or large organizations. Um Obviously, in public administration, you know, you have, you know, some some pretty big numbers there. Um, unknown is in the, is in the 2000s. So, you know, we just don't know what type of business it was. We just know that there was a breach and that can be collected from, you know, just the dark web. Right. Not not really understanding who the company is or where this information came from or how they got it. But we, we know it's there and it can't be attributed to to any any specific company or maybe, you know, you really can't, you know, just, just so you understand what I'm talking about. If you say I find information on the dark web that says it came from Apple computers, right? And that might not have come from Apple. It may have come from one of their vendors. So you can't assume that Apple was breached there. And if you don't know which vendor it was, you can't really attribute it to a certain industry. So that's more than likely why they have unknown there. Um, so anything else stand out to you guys in this report as we wrap up here in the last couple of minutes? I mean, uh, I think it is a good report. I think it's eye opening. Um, and I also think businesses should use this intelligence to, um, decide where they're going to focus their efforts for cybersecurity in the next, you know, 12 months, uh, until the next report comes out. I know IBM does a similar report, um, Anything you guys want to kind of bring out in this um, social engineering? I know that's that's a big thing that that kind of talk, they talked about in this. Um, anything stand out to you guys? Uh, oh, oh yeah, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was I was surprised on this list how high manufacturing ranked. 
um, on the list that we just went over. Um, that that I, I I'm not. I mean, I'm surprised and I'm not surprised. I have not heard a lot of that in the different things that we've talked about over the last you know fifty hundred plus uh, episodes. Um, we don't hear a lot of manufacturing. We do on occasion, but um, pretty crazy to see that being so high on this uh, on this list. I like this one from Garrett. His last pass a nonprofit profit donating passwords. <laughs> so he does real quick. I don't know if you want to hit these questions up. We got a bunch here um, at the end, but uh, how how do you suggest vetting cloud vendors? Uh, wow, Great yes, question. huge yes, especially if they're new. Find out what what um, you know they're going by a, the NIST framework. Are they you know SOC two compliant? What do they do? My biggest like favorite thing to ask is what do you do for code review? You know, you're writing code all day and you know, you're, are you texting with your customers who give you, give you hints and then you just have a, have a developer at it, you know, no code review. Where do you store your code base? What's that? Where do you store your code base? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? You know, where I, you know where I'm going with that. So um, yeah, I mean, all good stuff. Cloud vendors. I mean, I wouldn't use a cloud vendor that doesn't have their stuff in a SOC 2, Type 2 certified data center. Um, you know, you can easily achieve that. It's, you know, not the most uh, cost effective way to do it, but can be easily achieved by going into AWS or Azure or Google Cloud. Um, but, you know, it's got to be secure. They, as Randy said, if they're writing code and developing apps, they better have really good cybersecurity in place to do that. I know for us, we we reviewed a vendor recently, and their security, you know, made my skin crawl. And I was like, yeah, there's no way we're doing business with these guys. Um, so you you just got to you know talk to them and and really get reassured that they are doing things the right way, uh, and they should be able to be upfront and transparent with their processes around that um, and reach out to a cybersecurity professional who can guide you with understanding that if you don't know the right questions to ask or what to look for, if what you're looking at you, it looks like spaghetti to you, have a, a professional uh, review that for you and, and give you it in layman's terms so you understand it. I remember uh, one of the vendors that we all very familiar with and when I asked them that question, they're like, oh, yeah, everything's on the Microsoft Cloud, Azure. And I was like, okay, and? <laughs> I think Amir, what's up, Amir? I think Amir mentioned this when we talked about local governments being hit. And uh, a LinkedIn user. So we appreciate all the support, everybody. Keep, keep, uh, keep us in mind out there. Share our show. Share it with your friends and family. If you have any questions, uh, we monitor the comments throughout the week. So if we get anything from you guys in the comments on social media, uh, we'll either address it on the next episode or we'll respond in the comment section uh, on the platform that you uh, dropped the comment in on. So thanks, everyone. And we will see you next week in our next episode. Take care.